0: and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating and I'm Harriet Frew aka the Eating Disorder Therapist and I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now, today, I'm thrilled to have Brian Keane as a guest on my podcast. Brian is a personal trainer, nutritionist, and best-selling author. Over the past seven years, Brian has gone from working full-time as a school teacher to one of Ireland and the UK's leading thought leaders on all things health, fitness, and nutrition. Brian is the author of two best-selling books, The Fitness Mindset and Rewire Your Mindset. On top of his ever-growing social media platforms with over half a million followers, Brian also hosts one of the world's top health podcasts, which is regularly featured at number one on the iTunes health charts. He has spoken at major wellness events around the world, such as Wellfest Island, MeFit Dubai, and was a keynote speaker at Google HQ in Dublin for their 2018 wellness event. Among his many fitness and athletic achievements, Brian has transitioned from a professional fitness model to ultra-endurance athlete running through the Sahara, the Arctic and completing a 100-mile ultramarathon. This is an episode packed with so much value. Brian talks about his bodybuilding days and the impact on his relationship with food, self-worth and body image. He talks about how he transitioned to a much healthier place, sharing the skills, learning and understanding that helped him achieve this. Brian talks about external validation and shifting towards finding true self-worth. And he shares his secrets on transitioning towards a better body image while still enjoying fitness goals. He talks about language and emotional relationship with food and so much more. You're going to get so much value from this episode. Let's get to the conversation. Hey, Brian, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today.
1: Pleasure is all mine, Harriet. Really looking forward to speaking.
0: Oh, Brian, I can't quite believe you're here, actually. I've been listening to your podcast for several years. And I think back in like sort of 2018, I used to listen a lot to your sort of mainstream podcast. And then sort of just before the pandemic, I was listening a lot to your business podcast. And it was when I used to walk from the park and ride to the hospital where I worked. It's amazing, really, because I think that podcast has been an important sort of thread and influence in me taking my own business online and, you know, working as I am today. So it's really wonderful to have you here and just to feel that you've been really part of my journey. So thank you for that.
1: Well, that's so incredible to hear. And thank you so much for listening, Harriet. And I'm so glad that they helped the mainstream one. I know it's very different from the business one and the business one's very kind of actionable. I try and keep it so great job, you. And as I said, we had a tremendous chat on my main podcast and the feedback from that episode has been incredible because it just gives people that perspective on, okay, there's a spectrum here this is where my problems are. This is where I've got purging behavior. All of these things that you speak about and they're your bread and butter, pardon the pun. It's amazing to see you giving back to people in the online space as well. I'm so grateful we got to have that chat and I'm looking forward to that. We're getting to do it again on your show.
0: Yeah, fantastic. So Brian, for people that don't know you, could you introduce yourself, please?
1: So for those who don't know me, I'm an online fitness coach, nutritionist. I'm a former primary school teacher. I actually lived in London, not that far away from you, actually, Harriet. I traveled in and out with Essex when I was doing subbing or doing locum work, but I was a primary school teacher in London for three and a half years, but I had a little bit of a different trajectory and career path to get into what's kind of the fitness and now kind of health and wellness industry as well. I studied in St. Mary's University. Beside them and then walked into my first teaching job. Again, a shortage of teachers, male teacher into sports. I literally had a pick of jobs that I could go into. And I picked a school in West London in Chiswick. And I went into a year three classroom. And I was about 20 minutes into my first ever class in front of 30 students. And I thought, I don't want to be a teacher. I don't know what I'm doing here. This isn't the job or the career that I want to do. And to cut a kind of long story short, I spent two of those three and a half years working as a personal trainer in a gym at nighttime and in the Chiswick Park, in the local Chiswick Park running classes. And in 2014, I decided, okay, I'm going to leave teaching completely, leave my safety net. If I need to go back and go into that world, I will, if I can't pay my rent or whatever it is. And I moved back home with my mum and dad. My sister gave me a little Toyota Yaris, one of those cars that you'd close the door and all four windows would fall down (laughs) but it got me to the gym at that time and over those six months not only did I not have to go back teaching I actually had to bring in other trainers underneath me because I had so many clients coming in and I couldn't actually accommodate all of them at the time and then in 2016 I moved online about six months, eight months after my daughter was born just to have a little bit more geographical independence. And then it kind of grew from there. I wrote my first book, The Fitness Mindset in 2017. That did better than I ever imagined. Spent 16 weeks at the Amazon bestseller list, went bestseller in all the stores in Ireland that it went into. And from there, I was able to grow the podcast that you were on, the Brian Keane podcast, my online programs, BKF Online, where I work with people who are trying to lose weight, lose body fat, change their a physical appearance but doing it in a very sustainable way so they can build their own self-confidence and have that improved body image with themselves and again fast forward to 2023 I now spend my time either doing talks working with people in programs having great conversations on podcasts and then spending time with my family and loved ones and doing all the things I love to do so I'm in a very blessed and uh, privileged position at the moment so I'm very grateful for that.
0: Oh, well thanks for sharing your journey Brian and I think you're very brave actually to have that self-awareness as well very early on that being in the classroom wasn't for you and to sort of take that road less traveled and be on that road to sort of self-employment creating your own business because of I think a lot of us talk about doing that but actually you're someone that really kind of walks your talk aren't you?
1: Yes and no because <laughs> in hindsight I agree completely while I was in the middle of it though it took me three and a half years. So I would say I was quite the opposite of brave when it comes to making that jump. And partly because I didn't have the self-confidence in myself to do it. I didn't know how, like I made so many mistakes when it came to life decisions and business decisions, just from not being around the right people and not asking the right questions. And I literally kept my teaching job because I didn't fully believe I could make a career in the fitness industry or health and wellness industry, a full-time occupation for me. I just didn't believe in myself enough. And it wasn't until, weirdly, I wasn't a big reader and I'm a vivacious reader. Now I read a couple of hundred books a year. I've always listened to an audio book or reading a physical book. It's where I spend most of my free time, but I read nothing until probably age 24, 25. And I started to read... Listen to audiobooks, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, E-Myth Revisited, The Lean Startup, a couple of business ones while I was still working as a teacher. And they started to kind of clue me in on some of the things that I hadn't been doing when it came to actually setting up my business and having that kind of freedom of doing something what I call, you know, asking the question, what would you do for free? And that's what I do now where I work in an industry and I do things that I would do for free. And I'm very fortunate that I got paid very well for them. But teaching wasn't something I would do for free. It was something that if you didn't pay me, there was no way I was showing up to work. There was no way I was going in. <laughs> and I had a real wake up moment, Harry. It's something, I don't know if I shared this on my podcast, but I was on a game show in 2018. 20- 13 or 2012 or 2013, and um, it was called The Million Dollar Drop. It was a Channel 4 game show hosted by Davina, who called, and I was still working as a teacher during that show. And myself and my three housemates, who were all teachers at the time got into the show. So we were on, like I was trending on Twitter. I had one of these muscle tops on and I was trending on Twitter as like one of those like weird nip slip, hashtag nip (laughs) slips, because I had one of those muscle tops, but whatever way the camera was, it looked like it didn't fit me properly. It didn't, it was probably too tight anyway. But I was on that show and we were probably three or four minutes away from bringing home what would have been 75,000 pounds between the four of us. And I had left my teaching job in my head. I was like, I'm done. I was like, I'm going on holidays for a month and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to set up a fitness business. And I remember we got to that last question. It was a geography question. There was me and my housemate in the green room. And then two of my other housemates were out actually answering the question. It can only be two at a time. And they put all the money into the wrong place. And then this money fell beneath. For example, for anyone that's not familiar with that show, you had to push and split your money over four different areas in terms of what you thought the answer of the question was. It was a geography question on the capital of Iceland or something along those lines. And they put it all in the wrong question and all the money fell through. And my wake up call came the next morning. When I woke up, I was depressed. And the three lads in the kitchen were like, that was great crack. That was real fun. Can't believe we were on TV. And I was depressed. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to have to go back to school on Monday. I'm going to have to go back teaching on Monday. And none of them had that. And that's what made me open my eyes to, well, this is something that not only... Do I not want to do any longer? I actually now feel I'm going to get depressed if I keep on this path. And that was about six months before I picked up and moved back home to set up my fitness business. So it might sound from the outside like, you know, courage and bravery to make a change in a transition, but it took me years, three and a half to be precise and took several different moments along that path for me to actually have the courage. So anyone that's in the position, they're like, I don't like what I'm doing now. I'm not really sure if I can go and do something else or build a business myself or do something that I love, you're not alone there. I get that. I've been there. And it took me a long time to get to the point where I am now, or even to the point where I got to the starting line with my own business. So just so that people don't look in and go, oh, just have the courage, make the jump. You have to take everything into consideration. And I know how difficult that path can be. So it's important to kind of give yourself a runway of time and surround yourself with the right information, listen to the right podcast, reading the books, et cetera, because all those things will help you navigate wherever it is you need to go.
0: Yeah, no. Well, thanks for sharing that sort of vulnerability, Brian. Because I think it's easy, isn't it, to sort of look at someone's end point and yeah, just think, oh, I'm never going to be able to do that, or they're so much braver. And yeah, when we really sort of dive into the journey, there are a lot of bumps in the road, aren't there? And it's often quite messy.
1: Oh, I would argue that nearly every time (laughs) something is (laughs) worth doing, there's going to be massive bumps. Like we said, and we talked about this a little bit when you were on my podcast, that I went into the world of bodybuilding and fitness modeling competitions, partly because of obviously the difficulty that not everybody could do it. So I thought there was some value in that. And there's a little bit of an argument to be made that not everything that's difficult is valuable. But that led me down a kind of a road of, you know, disordered eating. I had a very unhealthy body image. And from the outside looking in, it looked like my life was great. And it looked like everything was going smoothly. Similar to when I tell a story about leaving teaching to set up a fitness business, when you just give you the synopsis in the short version, it sounds, oh, that's great. I can't believe someone could do that. And people generally go to where my default thinking was, you know, that's something that other people do. That's always where my language went, you know, setting up a business was something other people do doing bodybuilding shows is something other people do doing marathons is something other people do. Although there are things I would have loved to have done myself. That was kind of my own self dialogue and my own internal dialogue. And it's really important to know that the suffering and the difficulty is part of the path and once you know that on the front end and you're checking in regularly with whatever goal you're setting for yourself in the case of bodybuilding shows for me it was to try and earn a living off that you know it helped with my business and it helped with my brand i was able to travel around the world doing fitness model shows all things i thought i wanted but I got all these other negatives, that body image issue, that comparison syndrome, that poor relationship with food. All of those came with it. And when I started to check in, and it wasn't until my daughter was born in 2015 that I started to realize I actually have a really poor relationship with food. I have a really poor relationship with myself at the moment. I actually can't keep going down this path as well because otherwise I'm going to be a terrible dad. I'm going to be self-absorbed, self-obsessed, not happy And the last thing I want is a 14 or 15 year old girl who has body image issues because she's basically just copying what she sees at home. And that was a bit of a wake up call for me. So I think it's important for people to know that whatever the path is, there's going to be difficulties on it. You just have to check in regularly to ask, do I still want to be going down this path? Sometimes the answer will be yes. Sometimes you'll have to pivot and change direction. And sometimes the answer will be no. And that's fine too
0: when you look back to your bodybuilding days, and what are some of the signs now that you when you sort of view that sort of time of your life that you're eating perhaps was quite disordered and your body image wasn't great.
1: My real red flags, which is really weird because if you look at my life now, I would consider myself quite a disciplined eater, more so by automatic in terms of the food choices that I make. Like I still prepare all my meals in advance, and it's something that helps me keep my energy levels high, keeps my training sessions fuels. And I feel really good about my food relationship. Now I can eat a chocolate bar and not feel bad about it. I can eat and go out for dinner and have something that's off plan and be like, all right, cool. That was really nice. And I enjoyed that. When I was competing in bodybuilding, I didn't have that food freedom. My biggest issues, and you know this better than anyone, Harriet, because this is your wheelhouse and your area of expertise. What generally happened to me was I had a very all or nothing approach, meaning that I could diet really strictly. And I did. I would go 6, 12, 18 weeks, chicken, broccoli, and rice and prepare for a bodybuilding show. And I'd be really lean and I'd be muscular. And then if I had a chocolate bar, that could open the floodgates to a weekend binge or a three-day binge where I would just be eating nothing but sugar and fat and carbs, ice cream, chocolate, anything I could get my hands on that would normally lend itself to something we discussed on that restrict cycle. My restricting looked like fasting with excessive exercise. So a typical week for me or a typical month for me might be three weeks of, and this sounds so crazy when I think back, but this is literally what my life looked like for about two years. It would be about three weeks of really strict dieting because I'd be preparing for a photo shoot or a show or even just to look good myself in the mirror. Again, it really varied. And then a week, I could literally be binging for a week or minimum three days over a weekend. It would normally start on a Friday and it would lead all the way into Sunday evening. And then I'd try and reset on a Monday and I'd fast on a Monday. And then I'd train two or three times that day for possibly three, four hours that day. And then Tuesday would be kind of similar. I wouldn't fast as long, but I'd have a little bit more food. I'd train a couple of times that day. And then by Wednesday or Thursday, I'd feel pretty normal again. And I'd be able to go back on plan and then rinse and repeat. And I didn't think there was anything wrong with that harriet that was the problem i would have this binge restrict cycle that didn't seem like an issue to me and it wasn't until i started to get a couple of references from family members and friends about you know my sister said it and i had this real oh wow is this how you see me moment where she bought i think it was mars bars or ice cream or it was one of those things that she had to keep in the freezer and i remember her saying i'm going to buy them on a monday and I need to have them gone by a Thursday because if you go on a binge on a Friday, they're all going to be gone. I'm going to have none. And I sat there thinking, "What is is that how you see me? And that was something because you don't see your own life and behavior until somebody else says it and you see it filtered through their lens. And that's what happened to me. I sat there thinking, wow, you're right. I'm not going to touch these on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. That's not my routine. But if I decide I'm going to binge or something happens or I have a piece of chocolate on a Friday, it could be, you know, everything gone. All the chocolate in the house and all her bars would be gone. And that was part and seeds of some of the starting to see that I actually had a problem and that I had an issue and I had a really poor food relationship and it was grounded in body image for me. I just didn't have the self-confidence and all my self-worth was tied to how I looked. So as long as I was lean, as long as I was muscular, I felt quite good about myself. But as soon as the weight climbed or body fat climbed, I would, my self-worth would just plummet. And then that would normally lead to turning to food as an escape and turning to food as an outlet And something that would temporarily numb me from that discomfort I was feeling. So I had this whole entanglement of behavior with restricting and purging and then excessive exercise mixed with the negative self-talk mixed in with the poor self-worth and the image of the junk values of being too tied to how I looked and being worried about what people would say if my body fat was a little bit higher, realizing that actually this was all internally going on because most people don't really care how you look for the most part. And I had this all muddled up for about 18 months, two years. And it wasn't until I left bodybuilding and I left that world, was I able to start to heal from it. And again, heal might sound like not the correct terminology but it was the language I used at the time because I identified I had a problem and then once I pulled myself out of that and I had my own solutions things I still use to this day when it comes to food relationships and not excessively training etc that I can go into if you want but that's kind of how that journey looks for me over a space of about two years
0: and looking back Brian what do you think made you vulnerable to falling into that cycle because I think we're all vulnerable aren't we in this culture you know leanness thinness how you look it's hugely kind of validated social media i mean it's obviously worse now than perhaps it was back then when you were so in the depths of things but i'm sure it still had a presence but when you sort of look back on your life where do you think those kind of roots of that low self-worth sort of originated and i know it's a big question
1: two answers and it's weird because they both are on very opposite ends of a spectrum probably the first and the rooted a lot of us you know if you bring in dissect enough things. And I've gone to enough therapy at this point to know that a lot of your issues can be rooted in childhood. And I just had those emotional issues. I didn't have the confidence. I didn't have the self-worth. I had very low self-esteem and outside of sport, which is the only area of my life that I excelled in up until probably my early twenties, I didn't have anywhere else. I was very confident within sport. You put me onto a football field or you put me onto a sports field and I transformed. I was a different person, but you take me off that I didn't have that confidence so i had very domain specific confidence when it came to my own self confidence and self-esteem but i didn't have it off the pitch and that led to me looking for external things like physically transforming my body to feel confidence within myself and it's weird because lifting weights and going to the gym can give you an awful lot of confidence in the beginning. And if you don't fall down a negative path like I did, which I'll go into in a minute, it can be really useful. And it can be a tool for helping you build up that self-confidence. Where it becomes a problem is in its excessiveness. So when I started to go into bodybuilding, I actually had a decent relationship with food, a decent relationship with my body composition before I competed. And when I went into the world of competing and bodybuilding and fitness modeling, instantly, my comparison bar changed. I wasn't comparing myself against the person down the street or the other person in the gym. I was comparing myself against the guy from Spain or from Venice Beach or from New York who was bigger than me or who was leaner than me. And that excessive... I think it's an expansion of our social comparison is the correct social terminology that you're comparing yourself against these other people because you're seeing them on social media. For me, it was Instagram at the time. And I was like, well, why am I that big? Or why am I that lean? Or why don't I look like that? And that became its own monster. And until I removed myself from that, I wasn't even able to see it for the most part initially, but also I couldn't heal from it because I was still in it. And that was a little bit of a counterpunch or a counterbalance on both sides there was a little bit there from years of just not feeling confident from the general story harriet doing poorly mm. in school not having a lot of positive reinforcement at home like not really having a good male role model in my early life things along those lines that all led to me not feeling super secure in teenage years and in early 20s and then When I started to kind of get a grasp on that and get better with that, I went into the world of body competitions and bodybuilding competitions and shows, and it nearly reset back to zero. And it was that kind of perfect storm of negative things that led me down that path. Now, when I say how bad I was or how that was, I didn't think there was a problem at the time. It wasn't one of those things that I looked at the time and went, "Wow, I have a real problem. I didn't recognize it at all for years, for probably 18 months. And then when I started to see, actually this isn't normal behavior. This isn't how most people, they don't need to walk by every mirror and pull up their top to see how lean they are. And I started to realize that's not normal behavior. And that's when I was able to step away from it and read the books and listen to the podcast, go to the therapy and start to get to the root of some of these issues. So it's a kind of a hard and difficult answer or question to answer, but it's a combination of those two scenarios that ended up putting me down that path. And then once I was able to remove myself from it, and get a bit of perspective, I was able to kind of go on a journey towards effectively self-healing because I think the same, regardless of how good your therapist is or how good your consumption and the books you read, you have to take ownership of it yourself and take responsibility for your own healing journey. And that's what happened with me.
0: You mentioned quite a few things there that helped you transition to the sort of more healthy, healed place, you know, like leaving that environment where you were sort of like constantly being triggered, talked about going to therapy, like reading books, you know, taking more personal responsibility. Can you sort of just elaborate a little bit more sort of on that journey? Because I guess it's quite intense, isn't it? I think the healing journey, we need to really sort of almost do a 360, perhaps in terms of how we've been living our lives. It's exciting, but it's also hard.
1: A couple of things helped me more than anything else, because you're right, it's such a wide ranging topic in terms of the things that could potentially help somebody. But for me, there was two things and possibly three that helped above all others. One was I switched my training goals to performance versus aesthetics. And that's a very simple transition. But tell me what, you know, it's the old mindset philosophy, I think it's from Napoleon's Hill, Think and Grow Rich, you know, tell me what you focus on, I'll tell you what will expand. And instead of going to the gym to look better, I went in to perform. So I started to go in and focus on the weight I was lifting and trying to get stronger or how fast I could run or how quickly I could complete a circuit-based CrossFit workout. So that switch in focus of training straight away helped me focus my attention in something that I was doing every single day, five days a week minimum training into something that was more supportive. So I stopped looking in the mirror at how big my chest was or how big my legs were, how lean I was. I was like, okay, what was my time on my CrossFit today? Or what was my time on my run? Or how much weight did I bench press or squat today? So that helped me tremendously. The second thing that helped me was education around food. And this is going to sound really weird because I'm a certified nutritionist, sports nutritionist in particular. So I had a very good grounding in nutritional science. But what I didn't understand was the behavioral aspect around food. Something that, again, still outside my wheelhouse, this is where you focus, Harriet. But something that I didn't understand was I understood the science. I understood that fat and every gram of fat has nine kilocalories per gram and every gram of carbohydrate and protein is four kilocalories per gram. And you need X amount of fuel workouts and replenish glycogen and all of this. I knew all the science. But what I didn't understand was how you could eat a chocolate bar and how one would turn into 10. What I didn't understand was when I would feel lonely or depressed or not inspired on what I was doing daily, that I would turn to food as a way to make myself feel better. They were things that I just had blind spots around. And once I started to bring more awareness to them. And I would do a check-in, something I put in my last book, The Keen Edge, about emotional eating versus physical hunger was, you know, checking in if your physical hunger is normally in your stomach and it's slow and steady and gradual, whereas emotional hunger is normally very fast and it's normally above your neck, in your head. And once I would do that check-in, I'd go, okay, well, actually, I'm feeling really sad now or I'm feeling unmotivated now or I'm feeling lonely now. I don't need food. If I'm feeling lonely, I need to go visit a friend or a family member or I need to go play with my daughter or go do something that's deep time with her. If I'm feeling sad, I need to ask, okay, well, what's going on in my life? You know, who's left, or did someone pass away or did something bad happen that I'm feeling this sadness? Or if I was feeling unmotivated, what is it that I'm doing in my daily life that I'm not feeling inspired by? So that's why I set goals for races that I do or books that I'm writing or guests that I get to speak to on the podcast, things that inspire and motivate me. So instead of now turning to food, I would look at alternative solutions to those emotions that I was feeling. Those two things, probably more than anything, switching up my training goals to performance versus aesthetics and look and body composition and bringing more awareness to the emotional feelings that I had and not using food as a way to soothe that were probably the two things that helped more than anything else.
0: And how did you transition towards that more food neutral place as well? Because I guess you were sort of talking before, like, you know, if you had the one chocolate bar, it would often lead into many and i guess part of that's driven sometimes by emotional eating like it could be other things outside of food but how did you become more neutral around food itself without having that kind of guilt and shame etc
1: interesting and a really good question harriet because logically i knew from my background that one mars bar doesn't make you fat the same way as one salad doesn't make you skinny and lean it's what you do consecutively with your food that's important so i logically knew that but until I switched my goal from training and aesthetics to performance, was I fully able to connect with that? So that just meant that if we reverse back to 2014, 2015, if I ate a chocolate bar or I ate an ice cream bar or I ate a several of them, my brain instantly went to right, I need to go train right away, or I need to train first thing tomorrow, facet to burn off these extra calories and burn off this sugar. Fast forward to 2018, 2019, 2020 and beyond. If I have one of those foods now, I'll eat them and I have a piece of chocolate every day because it's one of those things that I just, I love. I don't have a sweet tooth. I have sweet teeth, but again, I have a better relationship with chocolate and food now. I eat it and I go, oh, that was so nice. I'm so glad I got to have that. The rest of my food was actually really nutrient dense all day and it'll give me extra fuel for my workout tomorrow. So I might be able to hit a PB or I might be able to train even harder. So it's a slight difference, but the relationship to it for me, and I can only speak anecdotally from personal experience, is completely different. One felt like I was a slave to the food, meaning that I had it, I consumed it, I had guilt, I had shame, I need to burn this off as soon as possible. Now it's a case of gratitude. I'm happy I get to eat this food. This is really nice and I enjoy it. And it's probably going to lead and help me with my workout tomorrow. Amazing. So although a very slight shift, it's the thing that made the most difference for me.
0: Mm, and it's a subtle shift, but it's a profound shift, isn't it? I guess, you know, it made, it made it enabled you to take such a leap there in your sort of thinking, your beliefs and your feelings around food.
1: Oh yeah. And again, I don't want it to sound like It's simplistic and it happened overnight. It took quite a while to get to that point, but it's just consistently doing the right things. And you can have, and this is where food is so funny, and you know this, Harriet, logically we can understand food quite clearly, especially if you've any sort of education around it, calories, macros, sugars, salts, foods, health, et cetera. You have a kind of a basic understanding. Most people know that a salad is probably going to be better for you than a Mars bar. But it's the emotional tie to it that becomes the issue. So you might need to change your food story. I had to rewrite my food story completely. And it was a combination of several different things. I didn't in the initial stages for the first six months, I actually switched gyms For the first six months, because I was in a bodybuilding gym and my mom used to always tell me when you lie down with dogs, you get fleas. And when I was trying to heal from my food and body issue, what was effectively mild to borderline moderate body dysmorphia, I had to switch gyms completely away from that environment, get away from the people who had similar issues to me and basically start fresh. And that was the initial stage. It got me from zero to one. And then after that, it was not consuming the podcasts and the books from people who had the same problem as me. I've unfollowed, I'd say 80% of the accounts I was following online because I was following all the fitness models and other bodybuilders, people who again, not everyone that's in bodybuilding or fitness model has an issue with body dysmorphia or a poor eating relationship. Again, that's such a subjective thing. And it's not for me to put on anybody else, but I had to unfollow all of that because I didn't need to be consuming information that was only making me question what I was doing, because it can be the problem with bodybuilding and fitness industry to a degree. It's why I consider myself more in the health and wellness industry now is we glorify that that it's what's called a cheat meal or a cheat day or whatever it is that's glorification of a binge restrict eating cycle and that was something that because you're in that world it's seen as normal and that's the problem with normal like the more you're exposed to something the more normal it is if you grow up in a traumatic household that's normal to you it's just not normal to 95 percent of people and it's similar if you're in that environment with bodybuilding and fitness modeling the binge restrict cycle, the excessive overtraining, all of those things are normal in that space. So I had to remove myself from that completely. And there was about six months there where I kept getting a pull to follow these profiles online or go back into that old gym. And then once you kind of go from zero to one and over that initial hump, it gets easier because you can start to see it for what it is. It's an eco chamber that you're in and your thoughts become the thoughts of everybody else that you're around. It's you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with if we're going off a of Jim Roan famous quote. And that's effective how I removed myself from that. And that was probably the best and definitely the most supportive decision I made in the early stages, because then you can start to see how you were, because you see it in others, it mirrors other people's behaviors, mirror back to you, and you're like, oh, wow, that's how I used to think. That's how I used to be. And you can have that detachment from it and that removal from it, where you can make more positive life choices, such as who you follow on social, where you spend your time, where you focus your attention with your training or with your food. And then once you do that consecutively over time, it gets easier. Like I would say, as of now, age 35 in 2023, I have a very good relationship with food, a very good relationship with my body image, even to the point now that I can share this story. I couldn't share the story in the healing process. You can only share it when you're out the other side, in my opinion. And I can support people in programs. I can support people who follow me online because I've lived it and I've came through it and out the other side. And now I feel like it's, you know, your mess becomes your message. Now it's about sharing it back for those who feel stuck and who are in the middle of it, who feel like they can't get out to show you that these are some of the things that might help you if you wanna try it out or experiment with it alongside all the great advice that you offer, Harriet, because there's tools there that are gonna work for different people. It's just about finding what's gonna work for you.
0: Yeah, I think it's so helpful to hear actually almost just how radical you had to be in changing your environment, changing who you're hanging out with, changing the content you were following. Because I think so commonly in life, we're trying to make changes, aren't we? But we're still surrounding ourselves with the old environment. And then we're wondering in a way why we're struggling so much because we're kind of so ambivalent then and like pulling ourselves in different directions. And no wonder we're struggling so much.
1: That's it. It's so funny because we end up, I always use the analogy it's like trying to run a marathon with a 20 kilogram vest on. I'm like running a marathon is hard enough. Anyways, you definitely don't need a 20 kilo vest on to do it. And being in an environment that's unsupportive to something that you're looking to change or achieve is like wearing that vest. Sometimes you just need to remove yourself from that environment, remove yourself from those people, and you make what is already a difficult process, just easier and more attainable for yourself.
0: So obviously when you're in that bodybuilding world, you In the habit of very much like looking in the mirror, like checking your abs, body checking a lot of times a day. And I'm imagining to begin with, even though you're like changing your environment, every time you walk past the mirror, you're probably still a bit pulled, aren't you? And like thinking, oh, just a little sneaky look. How did you sort of really reduce that body checking in that radical way? You know, I know you were focusing on those performance goals, but is that what really helped? Or is there anything else? I'm just thinking for anyone listening who's like doing this multiple checking every day.
1: Yeah, I had to realign my value system completely. I had what I call junk values. So junk values, meaning that I had so much of my self-worth tied to how I looked. And I didn't get the full wake-up call on this until I started to do really well in business. And 2015, 2016 were my first most successful years in business because I transitioned online. I had a couple of programs that did really, really well, and I had a very successful financial year. And I started to tie a lot of my self-worth to how much I was making. I found myself looking at other people and wondering, well, how much are they making? Or looking at other people I was speaking to and be like, hmm, I wonder what, how much they earn this year. And it was the same thing. It was just, I changed it from how I looked and how other people were looking to how much I was earning and how much other people were earning. And I realized that I was doing the exact same patterns. I was following the exact same behaviors. I just channeled it into a different direction. And that's when I got that internal kind of thought that, wow, you have a massive junk value here. I had Dr. John Martini on my podcast talking about values and it was his book, I think, The Value Factor or something along those lines that just kind of opened my eyes to I've got junk values here. And once I started to shift that towards more important things like, well, how am I showing up as a person? I think the Mayo Angelou quote, you know, people will forget what you said, they'll forget what you do, but they'll never forget how you made them feel is something that I still cling to to this day that how are you being as a person? How am I being as a dad? How am I being as a son? How am I being as a brother, as a friend? I started to shift my values towards things that were more important to me. I shifted my values from business to how much I was making, to how much service I'm providing. How am I helping people with my content? How am I helping people with the message? And again, very small and slight shift, but there are things that once you start to focus on those, you can't split your attention. There's a lot of cognitive neuroscience around focus and attention. You can't split your thoughts. You can jump between two thoughts very quickly, but you can't actually just split your time. There's no such thing as multitasking from a cognitive neuroscience standpoint. So once I started to shift my attention and focus to the other new values, the junk values started to fade away. And that was a cognitive conscious choice that I made to switch my value system because I realized my current thinking was broken. And once I did that, the things like looking and pulling up my shirt when I walked by a mirror or wondering how lean I was, they largely went away. Like again, I'm in the fitness industry, the health industry, wellness industry. Like I still care about my appearance for physical reasons and health reasons. And I like seeing what my body's able to do and all of these things more than probably even the average person because it's the space that I work in and that I'm in. But my self-worth isn't tied to that. If I go on holidays for a week and I come back five pounds heavier or six pounds heavier, or I came back from Kyrgyzstan for an ultramarathon, I was trying to run and I got sick. I got a parasite when I landed over and I lost six or seven kilos because I couldn't keep any food down for three weeks. I didn't feel bad about how I looked because I was six or seven kilos lighter. I was like, okay, I need to get well again and get my health up so that I can train and feel better and feel energized again. So you don't end up clinging back to those old junk values once you've switched them, assuming that you stay focused on the things that are important to you. So again, it's a bit of a long-winded answer and probably one that's very specific to me what it is the thing that got me out the other side.
0: I think so, so helpful though. I'm just completely with you, that sort of shift in values and where we sort of put our focus. Like you're saying in a way, you can't focus your thoughts on two things at the same time. So it's quite a conscious choice, isn't it? Once you start making that decision, I'm going to focus on these things that are actually really deeply important to me. It's still not going to be easy, but you're going to be shifting, aren't you? Towards where you want to go rather than back to the mirror or whatever it was before
1: yeah and it's slow and steady it's the the old tortoise wins the race but it's so true it's just slow and steady and taking those small wins as you go along that you walked by a mirror for the first time and didn't have to pull up your shirt to see if you still had abs like that's a small win that you might not ever pay attention to but if you at one point in your life couldn't walk by a mirror without checking your abs That's something that I would go back and be like, okay, well done. You're actually on the right path. Keep going with what you're doing. So those small wins show up in so many ways, being able to go out for a restaurant and not feel stressed about it, being able to have a chocolate bar, or in my more recent life, being able to keep chocolate in my house without the urge and desire to eat it. That's huge for me. Like for years, I was a systems over willpower, which I still believe in that you should have systems as opposed to relying on willpower. But there was a time, Harriet, when I couldn't even keep chocolate in my house if it was in my house, it got eaten. Whereas now I can keep chocolate in my house. And if I'm going to have a bar, I'll have a bar. If I don't want it, I don't have it. Like that's a huge win for me that I still focus on because there was a time in my life when I couldn't do that.
0: So Brian, I know traditionally as well, sort of in the fitness PT kind of space, I'm guessing for a lot of PTs and stuff when they're having their training, this focus is much more on the nutrition, on the exercise. It's not so much on relationship with food, body image stuff, et cetera. But I think a lot of Clients coming to PTs, fitness trainers and stuff have a lot of those issues. So do you think, is there a sort of shift in awareness sort of in that direction within the fitness space? Or do you think there's still a lot of people out there working who perhaps haven't got that awareness yet?
1: It's interesting because I've seen it from all sides, Harriet. I think we all can, it's called a false consensus bias where we end up projecting the way that we think and feel onto everybody else and assume that everybody else thinks the same way. And when it comes to the fitness industry, there's people who will come to me or come to another personal trainer or another online coach who seriously has an issue with their food relationship and they have just zero awareness around it. There's others who will know they've got a problem with, say, food relationship, but they just don't really know how to fix it or else they need to know how to fix it, but they need the accountability. But there's also a portion of people who just want to be leaner, who just want to lose weight, who actually have a perfectly healthy food relationship, but they're just overweight or they want to lose body fat. And I think it's really important from the professional side for the personal trainer to know that not everybody that wants to lose weight or get lean has an issue with food. Some don't. Some are perfectly fine. But there is a chunk of people who have a serious issue with food who aren't even aware of it yet. And part of your responsibility as a coach is to try and bring some of that awareness to it. And also, I'm the first to say that you shouldn't work with everybody that comes to you. For example, somebody comes to me with serious eating disorder. I'm going to send them to you, Harriet, or I'm going to send them somewhere else because that's not my area of specialty. I can speak to disordered eating. I can speak to improving food relationship. That's where I special or as an area of expertise for me. But I can't speak to somebody with a serious eating disorder. That's not my scope of practice or my area of expertise or my circle of competence. So I think from a professional standpoint, it's important to understand who it is that you can help. And then from the consumer standpoint or the client standpoint, addressing who it is or asking and identifying who it is that can help you because you might want to get leaner and lose body fat. But actually, the thing that will give you the most benefit is healing your food relationship. Because if you can do that, your quality of life will be higher. You won't be binging. You won't be restricting. You'll lose body fat by proxy of not falling into that poor behavioral patterns. That's what's going to serve you ultimately over time. So it's a little bit of a tricky one to answer. But I think it's important to know that there's a wide range of people all the way from unawareness around food relationship to awareness and not sure how to fix it or the accountability issue to people who just want to change body composition or hit a performance goal who actually have a perfectly healthy relationship with food and it's not something they need to fix. And they're going to be a lot more straightforward because you just put them on a nutritional plan with foods that they enjoy and they're not going to do any damage to that food relationship.
0: Yeah but there's so much nuance in it all isn't there really and I think like as professionals we can get in our bit echo cha- in our own echo chamber a bit can't we and project mm. you know sort of speaking for myself really you know project some of our stuff onto people and I guess it's a real skill isn't it really I think as professionals when we're working with someone in a way to, to be able to sort of like tease apart all those different elements really and really identify can I help this person are they right for me or do I need to sort of send them to somewhere more appropriate or whatever.
1: Yeah. And the thing is, it gets easier with time as a professional too, because you get that, I think Matt Gladwell talks about this in his book, Blink, that you get this intuition as a coach and as a trainer, and the more people you work with, like I can talk to somebody and within 30 seconds, I can tell if they've got a terrible relationship with food, or I can tell if they've got just a really poor eating behavior pattern and they're actually fine with their food relationship. They just got really bad habits because you end up working with hundreds of people, thousands of people. You see these common patterns and then within a minute of speaking to somebody or chatting to them online, you can see, well, actually this is where the problem is and how to fix it. So it definitely gets easier the longer you're in it, but it's important for those who are listening to know that there's, I always think square pegs into square holes. There's going to be a coach, a trainer, a therapist, some out there who can help you it's your job to identify the right person and then potentially work with them and then i say go all in with that person if you've done your due diligence and you think okay it's harriet or it's brian or it's someone else who's going to be able to help me listen to that person you also don't want to have this, you know, I'm working with Harriet or Brian or somebody else, and then you're taking advice from all these other people, that's just going to confuse you. And that's going to make the situation probably worse. Definitely, you'll be out of pocket and frustrated with this. So I would say whenever you bought into somebody financially, but more so mentally and emotionally, make sure you listen to that person. Because if you've identified they're the one that can help you, I would go and make sure that they're the person that you're taking the advice from. Sounds very obvious, but from nearly 11 years of working in the industry now, it's not always something that people do.
0: So Brian, where can people find you if they would like to get in touch, find out about your sort of online courses, the work you do? And also, do you have anything sort of up and coming that you wanted to share with the audience?
1: Oh, thanks so much, Harriet. Yeah. So my podcast, the Brian podcast, that's my kind of flagship foundation. It's my favorite thing that I do. We had a great episode when you were on talking all the great content on the purging behaviors and binge restrict cycles and that game, the guilt, shame that people have with food. I know my audience got so much value from it. So, my podcast, but I'm on all the channels. Instagram is probably the next best place to get me, Brian underscore keen underscore fitness. And I try and put out fitness workouts, nutrition workouts. And then I've got my books that are on Amazon, The Fitness Mindset, Rewire Your Mindset, The Keen Edge. Some of the things I've touched on in today's podcast are from that. It's where I kind of get clarity on my thoughts, is how when I'm writing books and then I'm able to kind of express it a little bit better. are on podcasts. But yeah, I'm on everything. And I've got a whole host of resources that can potentially help people. So anyone that wants to check them out, just pop me into Google and hopefully uh, you'll find something there that'll support you.
0: Okay, fantastic, Brian. Well, I shall make sure all of those details go in the show notes. So Brian, I'd just like to really just thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. And I think just again, like so much value. I think you have a fantastic skill, being able to explain quite complex things, in a very simple way, and you're a great storyteller. So I think the audience are going to get so much value. So really appreciate your time and you being here.
1: Ah, uh, pleasure is all mine. Thank you so much, Harriet, and keep doing what you're doing. I know it's helping so many people in such a meaningful way because of their struggles. So really, really happy to hear the podcast is going so well. And thank you so much again for bringing me on.
0: Thank you. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation just as much as I did. Do go and check out all of Brian's info in the show notes and you might also want to listen to the podcast episode where I went on to Brian's podcast earlier this year, also linked in the show notes. If you haven't got your ticket for a transformational event coming up on Saturday the 30th of September online inspiring prevention of eating disorders and body image issues, do make sure you go to the link in the show notes or to my Instagram bio. If you're not following me already on Instagram, do seek me out at theEatingDisorderTherapist underscore and for further support with your relationship with food, do go to disordertherapist.co.uk. and if you enjoy this podcast, I would be so grateful if you'd follow, rate and review as it helps it reach so many more listeners. Thank you so much for listening today and I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon.